Hello and welcome to the Mountain Conversations Marine Series, brought to you in collaboration with the Marine Conservation Society, the UK charity fighting for a cleaner, better protected and healthier ocean, one that we can all enjoy. The marine environment is a fascinating one, home to the smallest and largest of all living creatures. It's also a vital resource for all life on Earth. During each episode in this series, I'll be chatting with an expert from the marine world who will share their passion and knowledge with you, along with their insights on what we can all do to help our seas thrive in the future. This is a show about hope and positivity, and it's my hope that by learning something new in each episode about the work of amazing people who dedicate their lives to making a difference, you'll be inspired to take action and get involved in the efforts to preserve our beautiful home, planet Earth. I'm Charlie, and this is Mountain Conversations. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Marine Series. Today I am delighted to be joined by not one but two guests, Fionn Mitchell and Kirsty Crawford, who are the Volunteer and Community Engagement Managers for Wales and Scotland, respectively. Today we're going to be chatting about their roles within the Marine Conservation Society and I'm really excited to learn more about their work. Hello and thanks so much for joining me today. Bar-da. Thanks for having us. Bar-da. Yes. <laughs> um, could I bet could um I ask you first? I always ask my guests this, because I just love hearing about people's journeys. So can I ask you what what it was that sparked your passion for nature and more specifically for the ocean? Um I love hearing about my guests' journeys into their diverse careers. Um, Fion, should we start with you? Yeah, sure. Barada means good morning, FYI, everybody in Welsh. So there's some Welsh language for you today. Um, wow, okay, what sparked my journey? Well, I was one of one of those kind of lucky people that got to grow up at the coast. And so every weekend, as soon as I could walk, my mum would scuttle me down to Llanifted Vowed Beach, Llanifted Major Beach in South Wales. And I think that is probably definitely where kind of my love for the ocean sparked because it was just such a big part of my life, my childhood. Ever since I was little, it's it's been a real critical component of, of helping me maintain kind of really good health and well-being. And I think off the back of that, I just wanted to do whatever I could to not only conserve the marine environment, but also to really help create the sense of having one ocean for everyone so that everybody could could enjoy and benefit from the marine environment the way that I have. Oh, that's amazing. I love I just love hearing about hearing about people's passions. And so Kirsty, should we move on to you? What sparked your your passion and journey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a a slightly different well, I suppose the ocean I didn't grow up specifically near it, which I guess made any trips to it more special and a lot of my family's from the Highlands and the mountains were like a really big part. Um, and so almost going to the ocean, going to the beach was um, even more special. And really, and like yourself, Fionn, just helped kind of ground me. And it just felt like really a vast and magical and awe-inspiring place when you were younger and to grow up and learn, okay, well, this this endless thing actually could use some of our help and there are careers out there that allow you to do that was something that it took me a long time to realize I was quite closed off to it and I went off on a a very different career journey 
through performing arts and living in London and being quite detached from it and like losing part of myself along the way and not realizing that was the link back was to try and make my way back to first make my way back to Scotland and then try and make my way back to the ocean that sounds super cheesy it wasn't meant to but yeah I, it, it kind of brought me back and made me realize like what really matters yeah no I love that I love that as well I, I had a a, a sort of a, a wiggly journey as well I started off in performing arts and then ended up in dental nursing and now here I am so <laughs> so not every career path is linear um I just obviously I've just moved from North from North Wales um to Norfolk so I've gone from the mountains to possibly the flattest place on earth but it's still it's still totally beautiful and I, I'm sort of two miles away from the coast and it's just so I think living in Wales, I'd never, the same as you, Kirsty, I'd not lived near the coast before until I moved to Wales. And then it just, there was this whole world that was so new to me. Um, and I knew that I never wanted to sort of move away from the coast again. So when I moved to Norfolk, I needed to make sure that I was so close to the coast. And, you know, so I still had those, those the chance to be close to it and to learn more about it. So I'd like to move more into your into your roles. Um, you are the volunteer and community engagement managers for Wales and Scotland. I'd love to know um, a little bit more about what that actually means. So I don't know, Fionn, do you want to, do you want to kick off? Yeah, sure. Um, so you could say that I'm probably one of the shiny new members of the volunteer and community engagement team here at the Marine Conservation Society. So I started my role back in in January and we've not actually had um, what we call a VCN, the Volunteer Community Engagement Managers. We've not had one in Wales for quite a long time, um, talking about eight years, if not over. So it's a really, really exciting time, Charlie, um, to to really kind of get, get back to the roots of community engagement for us in Wales and really start to utilise that, that blank slate, if you like, once more to really engage with people, engage with their hearts and minds around the ocean and around marine conservation issues and also the work that we're trying to do as well within MCS on a devolved level in Wales to really help protect our marine environment locally and nationally while also communicating what people can do to contribute to that, that positive kind of protection and that positive um, restoration, if you like, of the health of our seas and providing those opportunities, empowering people to get involved with us, to get involved themselves, to take independent action. So that's kind of an overview of, of what we do. But looking specifically on a, on a Wales level, So I'm really happy that you mentioned North Wales, Charlie. Um, So that's where I live currently and that's where I'm based. So a lot of my work is focused on community scale action and engagement within communities across North Wales, primarily Llandidno, Colwyn Bay, Rill and Prostatin areas. Now, the reason why these communities are not any other community at the moment is that these communities in these areas have some of the most deprived areas in Wales. And so it was really important for me, having kind of family heritage from from the valleys and and also having a a bit more background and family history and passion around, again, as I mentioned, creating that sense of one ocean for everybody. I really wanted to to prioritise these areas and, and do what I can to make the ocean and the benefits that one receives from the ocean more accessible. Yeah. 
to raise awareness of of what the ocean can bring to everyone, that the benefits that are associated with protecting the ocean for future generations. And so that's kind of why I'm focused in the in the areas that I am. And to be really blunt, a lot of the coastal spaces in northeast Wales are actually really often overlooked. And so I really wanted to make sure that MCS were really noticing that and responding to that through bringing in more opportunities and more chances for people to get involved in those areas. No, absolutely. It sounds brilliant. I've just moved from, uh, from Bangor. So, you know, mm. so those, those, those areas, those coastal areas we explored extensively and obviously going into Anglesey as well, because as I say, you know, completely overlooked. I think when people initially think, I know when I initially think of Wales, I think mountains. So <laughs> when I realized how beautiful and extensive the coast was, I was shocked. It was the first time I'd seen jellyfish on the beach was when I, when I moved to Wales and I'd gone, you know, 28 years without seeing a jellyfish. <laughs> And I was, mm. you know, well, mind you, I've only seen a starfish for the first time since I moved to Norfolk. So, you know, <laughs> I'm a bit, yeah. I'm a bit, I feel like I'm a bit deprived in terms of what I've seen at the coast. Um, but Kirsty, I don't know if you can sort of give us a little bit of an insight into your role and what you do. Does it look any different? Obviously, you're in Scotland. It's a completely different landscape. The biodiversity is different. Is is your focus different or is it fairly similar to Fionn's? I think overall the roles have you know this overarching goal of engaging our volunteers and providing outreach and inspiring and empowering the volunteers to make a difference to the coast so the Scottish kind of cohort and network has been established for a lot longer so I suppose that's one difference is that I am sort of looking after and trying to provide opportunities and training to uh, quite a vast group of people that have been with us some for you know 10-15 years so they're very invested in the work and the volunteering that they do do in Scotland. Um, and so it's trying to, I mean, there's definitely relationships there for sure. So you've almost built these quite deep relationships with people um, and it's working with them and trying to support their goals in their local area. So I do cover the whole of the country, <laughs> which is a big country for one person. Uh, so I suppose there's a, a slight difference there in trying to, I need to prioritise the areas that are accessible for me to travel to while also trying to factor in our island communities, the people that live um, quite far north and quite far south of me. So I'm in and around the central belt. And it's, it's a way of linking this network and making people feel part of something that they're truly making a difference while not trying to spread myself too thin. Um, but something that our volunteers do do well in Scotland um, is use their voice. And so there's a lot of focus on policy and advocacy and our volunteers feeling very strongly about issues and us kind of providing the support to take that step further. So whether that be to respond to a consultation, be writing to their MSPs on a regular basis to facilitate an actual visit to Parliament to speak about a certain issue or just to show support for certain legislation like the cotton bud stick ban. So that came in in Scotland in 2019 and MCS volunteers were really vocal and instrumental in sort of pushing for that and demonstrating through doing the beach cleans that our volunteers do do fantastically and very, very often. Um, so the beach cleans with a litter survey is evidencing how much 
um, plastic pollution or sewage related debris, which I'm sure I can talk about more later on. It's a fantastic topic. But basically how much sewage related waste and cotton bud sticks they were finding. The sewage related debris issue, uh, which our volunteers feel very strongly about in their local areas, um, they have evidence by collecting the data. So by doing the beach cleans with the litter survey and showcasing the real problem in their areas, they were really happy to see that push through in Parliament. Um, so the cotton bud stick ban in Scotland did come through in 2019. Um, so the roles are, they are very similar. And overall, both of us are the outward face of MCS in our areas. So any outreach, delivery, public events, talks, education sessions, with schools and universities. Um, so we do a lot of talking, but it's a really rewarding role. It sounds it sounds absolutely incredible. I love the idea that you said, you know, about I think you've both touched upon it, about the idea of empowering people and showing people what they can do. And especially what you've said in um, in Scotland with the policy changing, you know, that's come from the volunteers. That's not come from, you know, it's come from a group of volunteers coming together and pushing for change. And I just think that's absolutely amazing. And it's so it's so important to talk about the power that we we have collectively. I always I always go on about this, <laughs> you know, that the power that we have for change if we just work together and our voices can be so loud if we just you know we're all on the same page and we're all speaking from the same hymn sheet as it were um I'd love just a little bit uh, just to, to learn a little bit about what a day looks like for you I'm, I'm going to assume it's completely completely varied I'm, I'm going to assume that days you know don't look the same but if you could just give me a, a really brief summary I don't know Kirsty do you want to start about what your what your day looks like as a volunteering community engagement manager <laughs> yeah of course well yeah you're absolutely right incredibly varied um at the minute so in scotland we have a focus and a funded project especially around education and bringing marine education and outreach to young people in scotland so between the ages of five to 25 so a lot of my time and energy is going into that at the minute um and we are specifically trying to target a varied audience so it might be trying to organise some travel or transport for an inner city school, many of which, when you speak to the teachers, some of the pupils, they maybe live, I don't know, 20 miles from the coast. They've never, ever been, you know, beaches and the coastal environment in Scotland is is not something that they have access to for various reasons. It means they they don't have the opportunity. So we might try and organise a visit for them um, and then do lots of various activities, or it might be going to visit some really rural and remote communities. So I did spend a bit of time on some of the Shetland Islands. Um, So those communities, on the other hand, are obviously really dialed into the sea. That's part of their everyday life, but for a different reason. So sometimes it's reframing it to let people see um so obviously really predominantly fishing communities but letting them see the maybe the well-being benefits or some of the different biodiversity that it's not just fish that come from the sea but what can we find in the rock pools and um maybe doing some beach cleaning with them and spreading this message especially around climate issues blue carbon um so the education roadshow as we call it is taking up a lot of my time and then that might be spliced in with supporting volunteers maybe helping them prepare for an event um, it might be doing a training session on one of our citizen science projects which either one of us I'm sure can talk to you more about um, so yes very varied sometimes a lot of traveling sometimes we're just in the house preparing but um, yeah we do get about. Sounds brilliant Fionn how's it looking in Wales is it fairly similar? Yeah, definitely. I would say fairly similar. Um, as Kirsty mentioned, 
at MCS, we've got a suite of lots of exciting and really different citizen science programs that people can get stuck in with, as well as kind of education offerings as well. I guess the key difference on a Wales level would be, again, as Kirsty mentioned, it being a relatively new network in Wales, really one of my primary objectives is to just spread the word, you know, really shout about the fact that MCS is engaging within Wales now and we really are looking to bring, you know, plenty more people on board with us as, as volunteers, as part of our Sea Champions volunteer network. So a big part of that is, is running loads of community-based events, almost as taster sessions, just be like, hey, look, MCS are on your beach. We're doing this, this great thing, which is which are beach cleans and, and litter surveys to really help us communicate to Welsh government and local authorities how bad our ocean pollution problem is. And you can get involved. This is how you can get involved. So a big part of my work at the minute is just raising awareness, really increasing that exposure, if you like, between people and the organisation, but also importantly, establishing relationships across sectors, across disciplines. I'm a really massive advocate of transdisciplinary and cross-sectoral working. And I think, you know, I, I really completely echo what you were saying earlier, Charlie, about us all coming together about these issues and singing from the same hymn sheet. Collaboration is absolutely critical for us to achieve what we are all collectively wanting to achieve. And so again, a big part of my role is to reach out to other environmental organizations, grassroots community action groups, other community beach clean groups, and just really establish those relationships so that you're you're forming a really nurturing, supportive network of of groups of diverse individuals that are actually all wanting to achieve and see the same thing happen yeah absolutely no I think that's it's so important the the idea of collaboration I am recently recorded um with uh, Rory Crawford who is he works with the Albatross Task Force and he he was saying exactly that that without the collaboration between different sort of organizations then things just sort of they don't gel if you know what I mean you know so he's he was talking about things that they're putting into place to protect albatrosses in different parts of the world but without talking to the people who you know who deal with shark conservation or turtle conservation everything gets mixed up things just don't come together and it's all about collaboration we you know as I always uh, again I always go on about you know we're one planet we're one species of humans mm-hmm. we should be working together and coming together for the be- for the greater good really um You've both touched on sort of beach cleans and litter surveys and stuff. I'd love to chat more about that. I am I'm a member of the Norfolk Beach Cleaning Collective um, and I do their events and social media. And it's obviously something I'm quite new to having lived by the coast for such a short time. Um, I'd love to talk about sort of how how your beach cleans work and what what these litter surveys are exactly because I know I know what they are but there's people out there that are going to be listening to this that are going to be thinking what's a litter survey so I don't know Kirsty do you want to kick off and say how that works in Scotland? Yeah absolutely um so people are hopefully familiar like you say with the concept of cleaning a beach beach cleaning picking up the litter that you find but for going on 28 29 years now 
the Marine Conservation Society have run a program called Beach Watch, which has a survey component alongside it. So the idea is that you survey a hundred meter stretch on the beach. So we're not talking about the whole area. Um, and then that allows you to be able to do repeat surveys to go back and again, pick up the litter in that hundred meter stretch. So with the survey sheet, it's just an A4 sheet that breaks down what you're finding mainly by what it's made from. So by material. And then in alphabetical order, it lists all the various objects that you might find. And as I say, that's been going on for well over 20 years now. So you can imagine the really solid evidence base that we've been able to build up. Um, so it is one thing, and it's a great thing to be cleaning beaches and to be clearing the litter off there. But it is another to also have the science and the data to back that up. So MCS are very much a science-led organisation and charity. And, and by having that, that just allows us to submit that data, to reply to consultations and to push for change by really showcasing not only this is the situation right now, which we do. So the data does get analysed every year to show the trends, but also this is how it's changed over you know, a long period. Um, this is where we're not seeing enough action, or maybe this is actually where we've seen uh, legislation change and we can then back that up by showing yet yeah, the trends are now going down this piece of legislation this has worked this has been great and we want to see more of that so it's really about building an evidence base um, and wherever possible we would love people if they're interested in beach clearing to just check that out and grab one of the survey forms and record a bit of data at the same time because it just it absolutely triples the effort that we're doing um, and just really it helps us along the way so that's beach watch in a nutshell Brilliant. And Fionn, how are people sort of responding to that in Wales? You say it's quite a new a new concept there. You know, you've come into this role and trying to to shake things up. How, how are people responding to the idea of litter surveys and beach cleans in, in North Wales particularly? Yeah, it's a good question, Charlie. I think it, it is a little bit of a mixed bag. And that's simply because unless you're really clearly explaining why this is important, i.e. the survey. Why is doing a survey important? What, you know, what difference does that make? What, what more of an impact is that going to make versus me just grabbing a bin bag and a litter picker and just cracking on with it, essentially? So there is, there is a little bit of work to do there in terms of really painting that, that bigger picture to communities in North Wales as to why we're not just doing beach cleans, why we are taking it that next step further to not only do the beach cleans, but to also, as Kirsty said, to collect that really valuable and actually vital evidence that Welsh government and local authorities and other organisations and research institutes need to really fight and push for preventing our ocean pollution at source. And often what that translates to is introducing new laws and new legislations like bans, like charges, like levies, et cetera, et cetera. And Welsh government and others cannot do that without evidence. Everything ultimately is underpinned by evidence. And I think once you really kind of clearly explain that and the importance of that to members of the community, they're all actually really enthusiastic to get on board and to get stuck in and to really contribute that. And what I always like to do is give some examples of how doing the litter survey in particular has made a really big difference and has made an impact. So in Wales, for example, we were the first um, nation in the UK to introduce the single-use plastic bag carrier charge 
uh, back in, I think it was 2011 now, I believe, oh my gosh, over 10 years ago. And thanks to our litter survey data in Wales, collected by volunteers and passionate members of the public, we are able to say that we have seen a decrease of over 55% of plastic carrier bags found on beaches during MCS beach cleans. And it's amazing to be able to say that. And we only know that information and have that statistic because of volunteers and members of the public that get stuck in and contribute to collecting that data. So it's very, very powerful stuff. That's a that's a huge reduction. That's um that's absolutely incredible to hear. I love hearing the I always say this is a show about a show about hope and positivity. So to actually hear um examples such as that just makes me really happy and makes me think that, you know, everything that everyone is doing is so worthwhile and just a shout about that is so important. Kirsty, you mentioned um, sewage as an issue um, in Scotland, and I'd love to sort of know, I know it's not very glamorous, um, but I think it's an important issue to touch on. So I don't know if you can expand on that slightly. Yeah, this is something that's really important for us uh, at the minute and something that's emerging out of that data that we just talked about. So another really key reason is that the so sewage related debris, we could have categorised anything that is that's found through sewage basically so in, anything that usually ends up getting flushed down the toilet and in Scotland wet wipes in particular so baby wipes wet wipes are um quite a quite a problem in some key hotspot areas and um, so one of our campaigns one of our calls at the minute is to really try and work with various governmental organizations and other charities organizations water companies to tackle this problem head on so we will hopefully see a change at some point in the future either for a ban on plastic based wet wipes um, and also to call on better and sort of higher level monitoring of combined sewer overflows so where the problem stems from is the sewage being able to be released through these combined sewer overflows ending up out at sea and inevitably washing back onto our coastline Um, and it can be a bit of a hidden problem so we have a couple of beaches around Edinburgh in particular that are really bad for this problem but what you see is in the summertime you know families and picnics and playing but the the wet wipes when they wash up you know they're made from a plastic-based substance they're not just going to simply biodegrade or break down or whatever the messaging is kind of trying to tell us but they're sort of buried half buried in the sand um, and when you really start to look as our volunteers do you know we've had three four thousand and a hundred meter stretch just within the space of an hour being found so big almost slightly hidden problem to the to the wider public but something that we're working very hard behind the scenes on to try and find a solution it's even, you know, wet wipes in our own sort of, I, my neighbour the other day was, he knocked on the door and said, have I got any problems with the, with the drains? And fortunately, no. But when he lifted his, um, you know, the outdoor manhole cover, it was absolutely clogged with wet wipes. And I said, are you flushing them down the toilet? And he said, yeah, yeah. What, what else am I supposed to do with them? So that was a bit of a, it was an educational opportunity. Um, and he sort of had no idea of the impact, not only on the environment, but on, you know, on our own homes, you know, yeah. just if we're thinking more closer to home. Um, yeah. I think I think it's something that people don't are maybe not quite aware of yeah and this like exactly this bend don't flush messaging as well is a really simple one but like you say you know if you don't know you don't know and like that's that's not your fault so it's trying to spread awareness that way um, and I think also combined with the problem sometimes of pouring fats down the sink on a different level and 
fat bergs being created, mixing with the wet wipes, all kinds of lovely images going down on the sewers there. But it is, it does all culminate into one big problem. And for the combined overflows having to be used because the sewage system is at capacity and whatever is down there alongside the cotton bud sticks and other things that I'm sure you can imagine is getting pushed out into our oceans. So, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to tackle that one. Brilliant. Um, Fionn, is there anything similar going on in Wales? What sort of sewage problems are you experiencing there? Well, yes. I mean, wet, wet wipes is, a, is also a big issue in Wales that we experience. But really, our main problem that's on the same kind of SRD, sewage-related debris level to Scotland, is cigarette butts. Cigarette butts is a real problem in Wales. So last year during the Great British Beach Clean, which is our annual flagship beach clean and litter survey event, we found on average 64 cigarette stubs per 100 metres. Wow. Uh, which was obviously really shocking. But actually in Llandudno North Shore, for example, um, a group of volunteers got together, actually collected over 700 cigarette butts in less than a 100 meter stretch so that's really shocking and actually recently just last week uh, I was out doing some beach watch training with a great organization called We Mind the Gap who were based near Wrexham and again less than a 100 meter stretch summer is yet to happen so beaches are still a little bit quiet we still managed to find and survey over 120 cigarette butts so cigarette butt litter globally is a real issue. So the International Coastal Cleanup report from 2019 actually re- revealed that cigarette stubs were the top item found by volunteers around the world. So that's more cigarette stubs found than food wrappers, plastic bottles and so on. So it's a real problem. On the top of that, they take around 14 years to degrade but during that time, thousands of chemicals are released into the environment, as well as microplastics, such as microfibers. So cigarette filters contain a cocktail of harmful chemical ingredients, including arsenic, lead and nicotine that leaches out, not just into the marine environment, but wherever they are wrongly discarded. So they often find themselves in, in our freshwater waterways like rivers and streams and things as well as of course across our streets in cities and in towns as well so something that we're really proud of at the EMCS is we're currently collaborating quite closely with Ash Cymru, Keep Wales Tidy, Keep Britain Tidy and more to really better understand the implications of cigarette butt litter not just on the marine environment but also on public health as well which is a really great thing to be able to look at that's something I've never considered obviously you see you see cigarette butts don't you when you're in the city centers and stuff but I've never actually considered it on the on on the coastline and things and yeah it's definitely something I'm gonna I'm gonna start looking out for and definitely get involved with the surveys to uh to help with that data collection um I've read I've read a little bit on online about the Marine Conservation Society and um there's there's restoration projects going on but I'd love to know more about some of them I don't know Kirsty if, if any big ones that are happening in Scotland that you'd like to tell us a bit more about yeah absolutely um so as part of my role I look after a couple of staff members who are working on some really exciting restoration projects that 
mainly revolve around native oysters and sort of re- restoring native oyster reefs in Scotland. Um, where you know once we had a thriving population around 100 years or so ago for various reasons um, and things related to overfishing those have been wiped out um, completely Um, so in the north of Scotland um, just next to Glenmorangie Distillery we have a great partnership with the distillery um, who pioneered the groundbreaking project alongside Harriet Watt University and ourselves to restore native oysters out on the Dornfirth. Now this location was particularly important because the distillery um, have worked to um, create an anaerobic digestion plant to basically deal with the byproduct um, through the distillery making process but a small portion of that around two percent was discharged out into the Dornoch Firth um, and by restoring native oyster reefs not only by creating huge opportunity for biodiversity to flourish but oysters have great purifying qualities so they're able to purify hundreds of litres of water and by this byproduct being released out into the water and passing over the oyster reefs as it grows over time um, the remaining small portion, around about 2%, is then being completely filtered and cleaned, making the distillery byproduct um, essentially 100% purified. Um, so that was the one of the first projects in Scotland. And from there, we also have a project called Restoration Forth, working with lots of great and various partners um, to really tackle this in the Firth of Forth. So to scout we're really at the beginning of this so to scout out the the most suitable habitat areas to restore native oysters between edinburgh and fife and also to work on restoring seagrass meadows as well so seagrass meadows with absolutely wonderful carbon storage properties and then the oyster reefs that have great purifying qualities as well as creating reefs for marine biodiversity to thrive and to really and bring back species that have been lost by creating these reefs. So working in tandem, um, we hope to see the Restoration Force project really flourish. So it's in its infancy, but we hope to see volunteering opportunities and lots of events and various training courses, especially around oyster restoration, oysters themselves, and what that even means. So a lot of really community-focused events in the Firth of Forth going to be coming up in the next year or so. Um, and that great partnership. If you do get the chance to visit Glenmorangie Distillery, they have such a great focus um, on biodiversity and the health of the marine environment. And during the summer months, we have a member of staff based up there and um, running various activities and beach cleans um, and really delving into that oyster history a bit more. So definitely one to visit if you're in that area. That'd be a nice summer job, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> no, it's really exciting to hear about these 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 projects. Again, I, I'm definitely going to follow up with that and uh, and track the the progress. That sounds really exciting. And um, Fionn, is that something that's mirrored in Wales? These different restoration projects. Yeah, so it's an exciting time for us across the pond in Wales at the moment, Charlie. So we are in the development phase of a really large scale restoration project called Natarambeth. So Natarambeth stands for nature forever in English. And what it is, it's essentially this programme of 11 restoration projects that are occurring across Wales and across different taxa. So what I mean by taxa is lots of, of work is being done on a variety of different important species that we have here in Wales, ranging from uh, birds to invertebrates to marine organised organisms, I mean, said organisations then, <laughs> organisms, 
So what MCS are involved in is the one project of the 11 that are focused on the marine environment. And it's called Marine Treasures. So as part of Marine Treasures, we've got a few kind of core components and species and habitats that we are focused on and dedicated to restoring. And through the development phase, we're really exploring our options and and kind of the feasibility and viability of doing all that. So what, what species and habitats are we looking at? So primarily, we've got seagrass, native oyster, which obviously aligns really, really nicely with the work that Kirsty and the rest of the team up in Scotland are working on. But we've also got crawfish as well, otherwise known as spiny lobster, European lobster. And we've also got pink sea fan as well, which is a really, really special species of coral that we have in southern waters of Wales. And throughout all of those species, we also have this interwoven component of water quality. As we've been speaking about, it's thinking about the bigger picture, right? And everything is intrinsically linked. And so water quality is one of those aspects that has a really, really significant impact on the health of species and the health of our oceans. So for us, that was a really important theme to kind of weave in between all of the restoration work that's going to be taking place for these species. So the development phase is running until February and then fingers crossed, pending a successful bid for the delivery phase, we will be delivering the restoration work up until I think it's about the end of 2027. And again, to echo Kirsty, stay tuned, guys, because there will be lots of exciting opportunities for you to get stuck in with these projects and with restoring and looking after and monitoring the recovery of these species. So some exciting stuff coming up in the future. There is so much, isn't there? And that's exactly why I was excited to do this collaboration with the Marine Conservation Society, because I think there's so much going on behind the scenes that maybe that you know the general public, the wider audience aren't aware of. And I love the opportunity to be able to shout about that. Um, I'd love to know we're getting near the end, but I'd like to know sort of how can people get involved with the Marine Conservation Society if they're listening to this and they're, they're inspired or they've always been, they've always wanted to get involved, but not quite known how. Um, how can people join in with the incredible work that you're all doing? And Kirsty in Scotland, how can people get involved? Yeah, so I suppose the main thing to say again is this volunteer network that we keep referring back to uh, is called Sea Champions. And if you wanted to learn more, there's a really simple form on the website. You can basically sign up and then you get assigned <laughs> to whoever your VCE, so Volunteer and Community Engagement Manager in your local area is. So if you are in Scotland, you'll end up filtering down the chain and ending up with me and we can have a really nice one-to-one conversation and take it from there. So what we do is try and link you up with what you're interested in and maybe your skill set and that might be you're just generally interested just to try and help out and that's fine but sometimes we get um people coming through that want to do a little bit of surveying so they want to um be collecting data and maybe not just on the litter surveys and the beach cleaning but actually biodiversity monitoring data so one of the big surveys that we have that's really simple for volunteers to get involved with is called the big seaweed search so it's a partnership with the natural history museum in london um, and it's we've been involved since about 2015 developing this project it is, the concept is super simple um, and there is a training program to go along with it 
it. So we don't expect people just to pull it out of the bag. But essentially, we've got 14 key species of seaweed on there. And we're asking people, if you are down at the coast, to have a little bit of a deeper look and see if you can spot any of these 14 species. And you've got a really simple monitoring form that goes along with it. But we're asking people to look out for these, not just because we've picked 14 species um, off the top of our heads, but for really key reasons like into impacts of climate change. So we've got some brown kelp species on there that help us understand the rise of sea surface temperature. So we've had about a two degree rise in the last 40 years. And this is a direct impact on some of the large brown kelp species that we see on the coastline. So the distribution of these is moving about quite a bit. And we want to just try and keep a bit of an eye on it. So some of the kelps that are quite easy to identify are on there. You've got some species linked to ocean acidification. So the changing chemistry of our ocean linked to carbon dioxide being absorbed by the sea starts to make it become slightly more acidic. And those conditions aren't favourable, especially if you have um, a sort of hard outer skeleton, a hard outer shell made from calcium carbonate. And we do have seaweed species that essentially act look a little bit like coral and those are specifically affected so by trying to target those um, the the coral weed species that you tend to find in and around rock pools we've got a direct link back to the climate impacts there and then we're also looking for some invasive species so the non-natives that are coming in as our warmers are heating up we're starting to see the arrival of more non-native species and we just want to try and track the progress of that so there's an underlying message at the heart of it all but really there's really nice id guides it's a chance to mess about in the rock pools tick off the species that you do see grab a couple of photos and submit that data online. Um, so it's a nice way to spend an afternoon, doesn't take long, but once again, you are contributing hugely important data. So we don't get people out every day going, let me take a look at the seaweed. So we need to spread that message, get the word out there, get people enthused. Um, and if you are just strolling along the beach, why not take 15 minutes to do the big seaweed search? So all the information on that is on the website. And that's something that I'm quite passionate about getting people involved in, because if you're at the beach anyway, why not just take a closer look at what's beneath your feet? No, exactly. You might as well if you're there anyway, do you know, it's uh, it's and if you can get involved. I mean, I'm always at the beach with my kids and we're always in a rock pool. Um, so, you know, it's something that I, you know, it's something the kids can get involved in with as well. And, you know, spotting and spotting different species. And it's a chance for them to learn as well, as well as doing something impactful. Fionn, is um, how can people get involved in, in Wales with the Marine Conservation Society if they're if they're listening and they're inspired? Yeah, sure. Um, well, there are definitely a couple of things that, that people in Wales can get involved in. First and foremost, as I've already mentioned, excitingly, we've launched our brand new North Wales Sea Champions Volunteer Network. So if anyone listening to this is thinking, yeah, actually, I love spending time at the beach. I could definitely get involved in our Beach Watch programme and, and do a beach clean and a litter survey or perhaps even even better, I could organise a beach clean um, and encourage others to get involved in the litter survey too, as well as the big sea research, as Kirsty's mentioned, or maybe even getting involved in our education programmes, if that tickles your fancy and you enjoy going into schools and community groups and delivering some really inspirational uh, messages about marine conservation then you could be one of our first ever North Wales Sea Champions. So I really encourage you guys, if you are based in North Wales, or if you know of any organisations, family, friends that are based in North Wales that might be interested, I really encourage you to go onto our website at MCS, 
uk.org and visit our Sea Champions page. And you can also read up there more on all of the variety of things and volunteer opportunities that we have if you do become a Sea Champion. And the Sea Champion application form is also on there as well. So that's the first thing that you guys can do if you're based in and around North Wales. The second thing that you can do, and this is something that I really want to emphasize, you don't have to live at the coast to make a difference for marine conservation. And I think that that is just such an important message that we need to be communicating. There is so much that you can get involved with and you can have such a massive impact from inland as well, because ultimately what we want is to pre- to be preventing these issues at source, right? And the source for a lot of the issues that are faced within our marine environment originate from inland activity. So there are loads of things that you can do being based inland as well. For example, getting involved in policy and advocacy work, get in touch with your local member of Senev, ask them what are they doing to improve water quality in the local area, for example, or to prevent sewage sludge pollution, for instance. There are lots of things that you can get involved with and support there as well. And if you need any more support with any of that, then again, please do get in touch because I'm really, really keen to support you with that, as well as Kirsty is in Scotland and the other VCMs across the UK as well. Brilliant. Now, I was, I was, gonna, I was just going to give a shout out to the um, the other, you know, the the other volunteer coordinators across the UK. If, if you're sat listening in England and thinking, how can I get involved? Go onto the Marine Conservation Society website and, you know, all the information is there for you. Um, finally, we're obviously we're at the end now. And I always like to I said this is a show about hope and positivity. I always like to ask my guests just one thing. If you could tell someone one thing that people can do to have a positive impact on the world around them that doesn't involve huge life changing, you know, alterations. I just wondered, Fionn, do you want to shoot first and just what's one thing people can do? How can they make a difference? For me, I'm actually going to steal a quote from Anna LaPay on this. Um, It's something that I always try and spread every time I have the chance to. Every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world that you want. So what I would encourage people to do, if you are in a position and you are able to, and there are more environmentally friendly options available, for example, plastic free items whenever you're shopping then please do consider making that switch as and where you can. Kirsty? Oh man that my I would definitely have gone down that same vein because I think that (laughs) is something that's so important to us as we do really see the from source problems and not that that is only on the shoulders of the individual. We do hopefully need to see change at business level, but you're asking about small change that doesn't feel overwhelming. And I would just echo what Fiona said and where possible, even if you can make one switch. And even if I don't know, the concept of using your reusable water bottle is still fairly new to you and you just need to build up that habit, it, that is a micro habit, but that will have a knock-on impact. And I just wanted to finish off by saying maybe not so much that something people can do, but I think, and we did 
Fionn, you did mention, you know, you don't need to live near the coast to be involved with MCS. And I just wanted to say on a sort of career level for people maybe listening to this that would like to end up working for a charity such as ours one day that you don't need to have studied marine biology. This doesn't have need to have been your passion from a really young age. We are flexible. We are able to be more than one thing. And I think even if you come to a fairly late stage in life, career change is always possible, as it was for me. Um, which has been incredibly rewarding, but that you don't need to walk that path straight from high school, straight to university and into a marine conservation job. There are many flexible ways and volunteering is just one of those to get you started. Brilliant. Well, I think all that's left to say now is a big thank you to both of you for joining me today. I'm so excited to be doing this collaboration and sort of linking up and connecting with um, people such as yourselves. Love learning more about what what the Marine Conservation Society is doing. And yeah, I just I'm excited for the rest of the series. But I think this this is an incredible first episode, you know, to kick things off. And yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank Welcome you. back, Charlie. Thanks so much for having us. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, what a brilliant way to start this exciting new marine series. I feel so lucky to have had the chance to chat to two absolutely inspirational women who are working on the front line of change, empowering people like you and I to get involved and giving us the tools and knowledge we need to come together and use our voices collectively for a greater impact. The case studies mentioned in this episode were just a small snippet of the incredibly impactful work the Marine Conservation Society are doing. To find out more and about how you can get involved, head to the Marine Conservation Society website at www.mcsuk.org or follow their news on the social media channels. On this podcast, I know I shout a lot about the importance of collaboration and the importance of working together. It's not about every single person making huge life changes, but it's about every single person committing to small achievable steps to make that difference together. Together we are powerful. I'm going to end on a quote from Mother Teresa. We know only too well that what we are doing is nothing more than a drop in the ocean. But if that drop were not there, the ocean would be missing something. Come back next time when I'll be joined by one of the brilliant ambassadors of the Marine Conservation Society and finding out about their journey and most importantly, how they came to be so passionate about the ocean. I'm Charlie and this has been Mountain Conversations.